everyone, and hope all is well out in your world. Grateful to have you here for another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and on today's guest, I welcome in Brandon Green, who is an entrepreneur and investor who co-founded the Keller Williams Capital Properties Real Estate Organization in 2006, and together with his partners, built it into a regional network of several offices and $2 billion in annual sales. Brandon is now focused on rebuilding small businesses in America by investing in and advising entrepreneurs. He believes by embracing the challenges that have been accelerated as a result of the pandemic, we can create a productive and prosperous path forward. And you can check out all the great things Brandon's doing through his website, brandongreen.com. I hope you all enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, my chat today with Brandon Green. Let's get it started. Brandon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Excited to have a conversation. Yeah, looking forward to this. Um, I know we got connected through Brian Wish, who's a friend of the program, friend of, friend of the podcast, and uh, has been on here before as well. And I, I'm excited to chat with you for a number of reasons. Uh, one, especially around a lot of, you know, folks having troubles during this time, but just in general around starting, you know, whether they have a small business or they're kind of on an entrepreneurial path where they're, they're doing it themselves. So I really want to dig into that a little bit. I'm curious if you can start out though. I'm, I'm just, you know, looking through some of your background, you know, I was interested of how you got into, you know, I know you're, you're into real estate, but how you got into actually starting your own thing, you know, was that right. something, had you always had a passion to, um, to grow your own business or was that something that kind of came out, you know, out of the, you know, on the fly doing something else? Talk, talk, talk to us through there. Yeah. Well, you know, in hindsight, I could see there were a lot of patterns. I mean, it, in high school, for example, I decided I wanted to go travel with an international musical organization for a year after graduating, but to do so, I needed to raise $15,000. And so I set up all these little micro businesses around selling stuff, chocolate Santa Clauses, Easter bunnies, <laughs> that kind of thing, in order to raise the money. So I can see now that I had a, a big entrepreneurial streak early on. Though, you know, I, I kind of got into real estate by acknowledging that what I was doing at the time, which was information technology staffing sales, was not as rewarding as I wanted it to be. And, and while I liked sales a lot, which was really my first real job, and, and, and I had some skills in it, it also felt like, all right, I've got to be selling something I'm, I'm more passionate about and something that could really drive some impact in people's lives more directly. And so I ended up watching an infomercial late at night about how to buy real estate money, no money down. I was like, I think I can do that. <laughs> and uh, ended up doing it and getting my real estate license in 2001 and, and started almost immediately working with clients and building a book of business. Did you rip the bandit off and just and leave the IT staffing or did you have some sort of soft transition? It was a brief soft transition. I mean, at that time, and this was in 2000, the, the, the tech bubble was bursting, right? And so I could see that my sales job in IT staffing sales wasn't really going anywhere anytime soon. And real estate, it appeared, was picking up from my limited perspective. And so I ended up having about a three-month period of time where I was doing both things. And then at some point, the activities in real estate to build that practice became pretty big, and I couldn't even hold the other job in, in reality. And so I ended up quitting that other job and going into real estate full-time in about 90 days. 
I want to dive into that a little more. Let me put a pin in that for one second, because one of the things that's, and we talk about a lot in the podcast is around, you know, kind of the nature versus nurture argument and kind of upbringing stuff. What was your, like when you went to college or when you were younger, what did you want to, you didn't want to be in IT staffing, I'm assuming. Like, what did you want to be when you grow up, when you got asked <laughs> right? that question? Yeah. So I actually wanted to be a TV meteorologist and I, I did not actually go to school for that or anything. I ended up touring with an international musical group, as I was saying, and then I came back to Iowa, which is where I, I grew up and I went to community college for a year and I was like, mm. this is not for me. And I knew then I needed to get out. I, I, didn't, I didn't imagine necessarily that I would go into business and become an entrepreneur. I hadn't connected those dots. But I had this, this insatiable desire to like just do something and do something now and didn't feel like sitting in school was satisfying that. And so, you know, uh, if I look at my family history, my parents are educators. My father was a superintendent of schools, not entrepreneurs. Uh, and though I did have an entrepreneurial grandfather who owned a, a company in Rock Springs, Wyoming, which is where I was born, that supplied the local mines with the heavy equipment hmm. that they needed to do their mining. And he was a very successful entrepreneur. So I can see now that I'm like, oh, that it, you know, my grandfather really was like the entrepreneurial spark in my family that I've been really carrying on. So really the, the IT staffing was more of a bridge. It was like, Hey, let me just get out of, get out of college. I'm not going to do this anymore. And let's just kind of get into the workforce and figure it out from there. It was IT's the IT staffing job was an opportunistic job that came by when I needed one. And luckily I had an excellent sales trainer. So I give that very first job a lot of credit and, and helping me with some good hardcore sales skills, like building a pipeline and making a cold call and, and figuring out how to follow up. So that job I had for about a year and it was a year of boot camp and sales training that went on to serve me very well when I got into real estate and applied a lot of those skills right into the real estate field. One of the other things you mentioned that was, is really fascinating. I'm curious how much you think about this is, is luck, right? If you don't watch that infomercial, are you getting into real estate? You know, so that's always one thing that always interests me about just the opportunities that actually, it's funny. We mentioned, um, you know, I've talked about this a lot of the podcast. We talk about Brian wish, how he's the one that, you know, interact, you know, put us together. But like, if I don't have, um, Alan Gannett, who was, he was launching a book for it, helping him. If I didn't connect with him, I don't meet Brian. And Brian's the one that got me connected with mm. Justin Lafazan, who co-founded the next gen community that I'm a big part of. So just funny how like what I call luck is just serendipity maybe that, you know, kind of gets in that way. So do you ever, one, do you ever think about luck and, and how that happened? And two, from the real estate side then, uh, what was the next step? So you see the infomercial and you say, Hey, I'm going to do this. What happens next? I'm curious if you can chat about those a little bit. Well, in terms of, in terms of luck, the way I've been looking at that event, which is the, the infomercial was that actually taught me something very valuable. It was literally two o'clock in the morning where I had this inkling that my life could be more than it was in that moment, which is not unusual at two o'clock in the morning, right? The two o'clock in the morning <laughs> tends to be like, you know, you're, something's going on and running through your head if you're watching late night TV. And I thought in that moment, I had a glimpse of my future where I was like, I don't think I'm destined to be an IT staffing sales guy forever. Maybe there's more I could do. And in that, 
that infomercial was presenting the possibility of a better reality than I was existing in at that moment. And that happens to us all the time, right? We, we often have these like glimpses of what could be. And, and what I see now though, is that uh, what differentiated that moment versus other moments, and I've had others similar to that, is I actually took action in that particular moment before that feeling fleeted away. And, and so those like moments of, oh, ahas happen to us all the time, but unless we do something with them, they're gone. And so I think that the, the, the luck is really about, uh, maybe luck is generating the moment. I don't know, right? That might be above my pay grade, though I think the fact that I inputted onto that a piece of action, which was right. I ordered the course, <laughs> right? right? And now, now you know, asterisks here. I learned that there's a lot more to managing a great real estate business than, than the, the course was to teach, was going to teach me, but it did inspire me to take further action from there. And I do see that as like the kernel of beginning my real estate career where I made a connection between mm. momentary inspiration and action and followed up on it. And something started to germinate my real estate career. Yeah. Well, that's um, so, a good point. I mean, it's, you know, you, the luck happens. You, as you said, there's a lot of those moments that we all go through in life, but you actually acted on the opportunity that came up, you know, however yeah. big or small it is. And that's ultimately why we're talking about it now, because it became something, you know? Right. And I learned to pay attention to that, that, that feeling where you're like, oh, I think I see something that's happening in the future. If you don't take a, if you don't do something with it in the moment, it's gone and you've lost whatever that opportunity actually is. And so I use that even now today to inform my actions and I pay real close attention to those fleeting moments of inspiration and try to grab the nugget or whatever that is and create some sort of actionable follow-up as a result of that feeling. What was your thought then getting in from this real estate course? Like were, were you, yeah, yeah, fear, anxiety, excitement? Like what was the, what were the feelings going through when you first got into that? You know, really mostly, mostly excitement about what I could do. And I could see pretty quickly that the skills that I developed in the, the IT staffing job for a year were transferable. And I was excited that I could help people buy and sell real estate, which seemed to be a cornerstone in people's lives and uh, pretty impactful to them. I was like, oh, this is cool. So I can do good work and make great money and use my natural born skill set. Awesome. <laughs> a nice triangulation to that. And so then the question really became, well, how do I, how do I do enough activity that I have enough of an impact that I can make enough money? Cause I did not have an nest egg to fall back on and no real reserves and was still on the ramen noodle budget. And so I knew, okay, I've got to get clients and get clients fast or this whole thing isn't going to go anywhere. And so relatively quickly I was like, Oh, I think this is a good alignment, but what am I going to do? to get the jet off the runway fast so that I do have a career and, and not just a sale or two. What were some of those early, um, you know, I don't know if it was creative things, maybe you sure. learned from the staffing side, but that you did to help get, you know, clients right away. Anything you'd share? Yeah. Well, so I learned in that staffing job that in terms of sales, there are conversion numbers along the sequence. And so there's a certain number of contacts you need to make and a certain number of those contacts are going to sign up for something and, and real estate would be a, a listing agreement or a buyer agreement to 
buy or sell a piece of real estate. And a certain number of those are actually going to transact and a certain number of those are going to close. And so if I could figure out what those conversion ratios were along the way, and I assumed beginning at the beginning that my conversion ratios would be really bad, right? You know, 10%, 5%, 20%, something like that. Then I could backtrack the result I wanted, which was an income number into an activity that I needed to generate on a day-to-day -day basis and knew that if I could figure out what that math was, then I could keep myself focused on the activity. And, and after doing that, I realized for me is I needed to knock on about 100 doors a day. And at the time, I didn't have a database of clients. I didn't have really any relationships in this area being new. And I was like, well, where am I going to find people that could buy or sell a piece of real estate? And I'm like, well, they might be in the houses themselves. <laughs> like That was literally my, my calculation. So I gridded out the neighborhood and I started going door to door to door, physically knocking on doors and seeing if that person wanted to sell their house. I didn't have a fancy script. I didn't have really anything interesting to say. Uh, later, I developed that and found that that was instrumental in, in bettering my conversion rates. But at the beginning, it was literally, hi, my name is Brandon. And I was with Prudential Real Estate at the time. I'm with Prudential Real Estate. Do you want to sell your house? <laughs> right? And what was the general response? Get general off my response? lawn? was no, who are you? Get out of here. I, although, honestly, most people were nice. Most people were nice. A few people were mean. Most people were also very skeptical. Although I had a big smile and I had a reasonable distance from the, the front door and I guess I didn't look particularly threatening. And, and one out of 100 said yes. And it took about 100 to get somebody to say yes. And they would say, you know, so how, so weird that you're here. You, we we're just talking about that last night. You know what? come on in. Let's have a conversation. Yeah. So then I was like, oh, it's one in a hundred. How long does it take me to knock on a hundred doors? Well, depends on, depends on the day. Uh, usually it's one to two days. It's like, oh, then I can generate an, a true opportunity every two days. And, you know, I need probably 40 solid opportunities to close this year. Right. And, and so, you know, on with the math. And so for the first year of my career, I spent six to eight hours a day uh, physically canvassing the neighborhood and, and knocking on people's doors. Now, what I didn't know at the time was that that was not only a good short-term activity because it could generate some now sales. It was also a good long-term activity because I was starting to build a name for myself and starting to build a reputation as somebody who would do some work because nobody else was doing that. <laughs> <laughs> or if they did, it was for like a half an hour or an hour, then the rain would come and it'd be too cold or too hot and they'd go back to their office. So but there I was every day showing up in the neighborhood and eventually they got traction and people were like, who's this guy like walking around knocking on doors? And then that ended up building a really good book of business in, in one year. Well, and that's something, if I can just make a point here is we always see the after, you know, that I always use the fitness before and after photo. We always see the after photo. You and I are talking today, right? Uh, you know, you've done a lot of this stuff we'll get into from a, with the Keller Williams stuff you started, the capital properties and, you know, all this stuff you're doing now, these different organizational things. But if you don't put the hard work in that no one sees in those first few years, we're probably not talking you're maybe just kind of puttering around up there, you know, doing a few, you know what I'm saying? Like you're, you're just going around, but the reality is you put the hard work in that a lot of folks don't see. And I think that's a, it's a big key point to make is that you have to not only put the work in, but sometimes you have to get creative and figure out what works for you. And if it's not working, you need to, you know, change. Yeah. So you have to find a way to love the work. Cause if all you really love is the result, huh, right. 
that's such a small component of the overall process that you'll just burn out, right? Or, or get disenfranchised relatively quickly when you realize how hard it is to generate the results. So I was like, man, I got to really love door knocking. And, and while I wouldn't say I actually loved door knocking per se, I really loved meeting people and listening to them. And they had it become a bit of a challenge, right? Could I, could I develop rapport faster with people? Could I take that skeptic who's like peering outside the door, like who the hell's in my door and convert them into somebody who was at least genuinely neutral? To the fact that I was standing at their door. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I do, I agree with you hundred percent that, that there's a lot of 20 year overnight successes. And the, the reality is, is there's a lot of work that never made it to Instagram that really has been the driver of success. Well, and, and to kind of put a, a, a last thought on that, you know, I look at, because I look in the mirror myself, you know, I, I was a PJ professional for many years. I taught, you know, taught golf um, here in the Raleigh Durham area. And I look back and one of the things I would do a heck of a lot better, which I thought I did okay at was from a networking and bringing in new business. So I'd get a lot of referrals and I'd have some other things where like I had a, a, I had a website, like an 06, which for golf professionals was like really um, new, a new thing, I but yeah. I didn't do as much in terms of that door knocking that I, I look back now, I'm like, man, I could have really, blew it out of the water and got my name out there. I just didn't. So it's one of those things. The reason I I'm chatting about it is like, God, I, I know I, I whiffed, you know, whiffed on the pitch on that one, but it's, is it is important that we need to go out there and it's not just knocking at doors. It could be a variety of things. It might be cold yeah, calls. Right. It might be marketing, exactly. you know, messages through email, whatever. Everyone's a little different, but yeah. Door knocking is really a placeholder for whoever's listening and right. they're thinking about their business. What's your door knocking, right? right. What is your not really sexy kind of, hard to do activity that you have to do consistently for weeks and months and years and, and builds great traction. Yeah. And that's really the reality of it, right? Is, is you know, if we spend 80% of our time doing that and find, find a love in that process, whatever that is, then the results do eventually show up if you've got enough stick to for them to show up. Well, how'd you get to the point? So, you know, I saw here with, uh, from the, the Keller Williams capital properties, you all set up. So that was, if I'm doing my math right, like five years after you yeah, got in right. real estate, right? Because that's a, that's a big venture to go. I think it was it like yes. a, a, a regional type of, of mm -hmm. a lot of different, remind me, I'm trying to remember. Um, I remember I was listening to uh, the founder of that. Was it Gary Keller? Is that right? Gary Keller. Yeah. Yes. He was on, I think Tim Ferriss uh, a little while mm -hmm. back. He was. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, I remember him talking about just how, how they do the franchise and, and, mm -hmm. and those type of agreements. But anyways, can you chat a little bit about that? Because that, sure. that's obviously a big step up to go yes. that route. Why yes. was that important for you to do that at that time? Right. And it's not a step a lot of people necessarily take. Though for me, I realized at that point, five years or so into the business, that as much as I love sales, and I still do, that there's a transactional nature of sales that didn't satisfy the other component of what I'm interested in, which is building something more long-term and building something that is more uh, sustainable that can be done without me being the one who does it all the time. And so I started to look at what are the other areas of real estate that are less transactional and more relational and build something more substantial over time. And that's when I, I landed a great relationship, Bowman Keaty, who became my business partner in the Keller Williams venture, who taught me a lot about business and how there is a, there is a, an inflection point for a lot of people where they, they realize that sales are great, but if you really want something bigger, you've got to go into business. And that's a different skill set. 
And it's not cut out for a lot of people. Most salespeople are not actually good business people, but some people want to acquire the other set of skills that are required to run a business. And for me, that was a great challenge. So in 2006, we launched Keller Williams Capital Properties as one office in Washington, D.C., and laid out a vision to build multiple offices across Maryland, D.C., and Virginia over time. And for me, that was a real uh, trying personal experience of taking my sales skills and converting them into business skills and eventually into leadership skills, which is a whole nother ballpark, right? And um, I found that more rewarding ultimately than transactional sales, though I could see that there was a nice sequence to that and, and building that over time. So 2006 is when we launched that and began really growing quite a large uh, organization. Well, my assumption is, tell me if I'm wrong on this, you obviously were probably doing very well on your own, right? prior to that, getting outside your comfort zone and taking this new leap, was that an easy convincing of yourself when you were looking in the mirror? Or was there a lot of internal struggle of like, God, I'm, I'm doing really good here. You know, should I even go that route and risk it? It's years of struggle of not even knowing if I made the right decision. Because the thing about sales is it's for great sales, it's great cash flow. Generally, if you're good at sales and you've got a, a, a decent product or service that you're selling and to invest in and building a business usually requires a step back in, in actual cash in order to invest in something that hopefully produces more cash later on. But that's not an exchange that materializes in, in the first few months or even sometimes the first few years. So yeah, I took a step back in my income so that I could take a step forward in my wealth. But I didn't really know what that meant other than conceptually. I was like, well, that sounds kind of good <laughs> until I saw my income go down. I'm like, yeah, but am I investing in something that will cause my income to go back up later on? It was not clear until it actually started to happen. And five, six, 10 years later, I'm like, yeah, I made the right decision. But believe me, there were many conversations with myself and my loved ones where I was like, I don't know if I did and couldn't tell. Um, and, and so rather than looking at that metric, although I did a lot, I tried to feel the metric, which is, do I like what I'm doing every day? And do I believe I'm having an impact? And am I actually growing something that is sustainable over time? If the answer to those things are yes, yes, and yes, and I need to have some degree of faith that the money's going to show up and that things are going to materialize and work out for me. But to your question, like that was a hard inflection point in my career and often a very trying one as I worked through the new skills I needed to acquire in order to make all those other things happen. Well, I have to ask about, I mean, a couple of years after you get into that, you know, <laughs> pretty big financial crisis here in the country. What yeah, right, it's true. Right. Yeah, right. And uh, so some, you know, interestingly, the, the financial crisis of 08 and 09 were really good for our business because we realized we were, new and young and scrappy entrepreneurs without a lot of debt and a lot of expenses. And we were able to more nimbly grow than a lot of our competitors. So we took a lot of market share during those years and found them to be really quite productive. And they were scary years. We've had a lot of recessions in this country and normally real estate is not as impacted as the other sectors or is the sector that leads everybody out of the recession. Not that one. That one was the heart of the matter was real estate. And so it was a certainly a challenging time. And when I look back on it, in some ways, I think it was our best time, right? Because we really were up against a wall and had to make things happen in a, in a way that um, was very effective, ultimately. 
when you work with a lot of, you know, small businesses that you're doing today and kind of give them maybe some coaching insight and stuff, do you, do you find that that nimble approach, maybe staying lean, you know, the kind of the term lean, you know, is that the right way to go? Yeah. Just because again, if, if there are bad times, you don't have to worry about um, all these added expenses that may not be as relevant. If you can. Yeah. I think that what's interesting about the time we're in now is we transitioned from a robustly growing economy to a stalled economy so quickly that uh, people were caught particularly unprepared. You, know, you, you would not have been wrong to have set pretty ambitious goals for your business for 2020 back in 2019. Because if you looked at the macroeconomic trends, you're like, yeah, while it was clear a recession was coming at some point soon, most people were, were going to say, well, it's not going to be in an election year. And it probably is, you know, we still have another year or two on this puppy. And so a lot of people, including myself to a degree, placed some, some bets that 2020 would be a growth year. And then of course, whoop, what happened? So to your point, yeah, if you can, and, and I think the, the key is for all entrepreneurs right now is to, to remanage the organization to that, that outcome, which is as light of an expense structure as you possibly can. And it's very interesting now, many years later in business, I'm seeing both young entrepreneurs have the advantage that I felt in 20, 2008 20, and 2009, and then some of my colleagues, which are much more advanced entrepreneurs that have large leases that they can't get out of very easily and lots of employees and, and, and seeing how people handle that. But the key is going to be to, uh, to right-size your expenses in a way that allows you to invest the revenue you do have in the, the future way that we're doing business, which we're all coming to the realization about right now in terms of virtual work, what roles people are going to play and so forth. Chat about why we're on it just around from a financial standpoint. Um, and, yeah. and you could take it from either, you know, I, I'm big on the personal side because I think yeah. a lot of personal financial stuff dictates if you can start a business um, or go out on your own. Um, but you can take it from a business standpoint as well. What would you share maybe that you've learned that's helpful for, uh, for folks that want to get on their own path, get on well, something new? For, I mean, I've, I have learned a lot financially the hard way, I will say. <laughs> having never gone to business school and not really having any good financial training, I've learned it by making a lot of mistakes. <laughs> and, and now, hopefully, I've learned from, from those mistakes, and, and I'm looking at things a lot different. And, and what I would say, uh, you know, financially for people right now is there there needs to be an orientation to cash reserves that we have not really had in our economy for a while. I think when the economy crashed with COVID, we realized something about small business in America, and that is it wasn't really actually working for a lot of entrepreneurs. And it wasn't working for a lot of employees either, as evidenced by people being in bread lines in like two weeks. Like, what? Right, and, and, and as evidence of the number of businesses that went out of business immediately, and that has really informed my perspective this summer. Which is, man, we we have to do a better job as entrepreneurs of having a handle on our finances. One of the challenges is, though, like me, most entrepreneurs don't get into business with an orientation of that. There, mm -hmm. there's something that they want to sell or create or do. They're they, they're really good at something, and it's gener generally not running their back end finances. <laughs> <laughs> right, so that gets deprioritized, and that was okay in the growing economy, but not. It's no longer okay for business owners not to have a control, uh, to have control over their finances. And so, you know, tactically, what does that look like? Look, 
We've been saying for a while to have three to six months of cash reserves. Well, that doesn't do in a pandemic. It's more like six to 12, right? And unfortunately, a lot of people are feeling the pain of not having that. So what I've been working with a lot of business owners on has been, okay, how do you even now begin to build up a cash reserves position that is sufficient for the, the economic environment that we're in going forward? And what are some strategies that you can deploy now? Not always easy because in many businesses, the environment is constricted, but that doesn't mean it's impossible. Um, we've got to really be thinking about how do we do that? That's the only way that you can still sell the thing that you love to sell or stay in business in the long run. So I really think all that is adjusting in terms of what our expectations are about what it means to be a great entrepreneur. The bar is now higher than it was, I think, before before COVID. Well, and I, I would probably agree on that, definitely. But most people are in debt. Yeah. You know, most people are in debt. You know, I know I can speak personally because I was in thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of debt back in yeah. the last decade. Yeah. Um, yes. And it took me, you know, but, but to your point, like you have to have a starting, you know, there's no better day than today. Right. So you have to have a starting point. And it took me, I think it was probably what I probably made a decision in end of 08, maybe 09. And I was debt free by I think 2016 ish, 2017. Yeah, it go. took a long time. It didn't take, mm-hmm. it wasn't overnight. But is that, I, th- I think part of it, maybe this is, you can share on from a mindset standpoint, is if you believe that that's where you want to go, you now start making decisions, you know, not just buying frivolous crap, not just not living above your means. And, and sometimes you have to, you know, the Dave Ramsey approach, you got to eat rice and beans, but you, yes. uh, but that's, you know, that's, I think a way to get people out of it is by making better choices. Um, it, it is. It's as simple as that, you know? Well, yes, and what do you do with that, right? So my personal experience on that, I'll share that, and maybe that'll give some framework around it, is by 2011, almost uh, a good 10 years into the business, I found myself in tax debt again for the third time and had other debt too that I couldn't seem to get over. And and I would look objectively at my income. I'm like, why? Where's it all going? Like, what is going on? And I had a conversation with my financial planner out of frustration one afternoon. I was like, look, I don't know what the heck is going on. How, how am I in this position 10 years later? This is really unacceptable. And he said something I'll never forget because it popped me right in the nose right at the time I needed it. He said, you know, the problem is, is your financial acumen does not match your financial ambitions. And you, until you fix that, it, it, it's never going to work for you. And I was like, what? Like, what? And he goes, yeah, like when you, when you talk about money, you talk about delegating the responsibility to professionals you hire for your taxes, for your bookkeeping, for your financial planning, but you don't understand 75% of what we're talking about. And so you've got these huge financial ambitions, but your understanding and knowledge of all this stuff, it just does not add up. And I was like, wow, you're right. And in that moment, I decided that that was unacceptable. And that while the thought pattern that I had been having, which was, I'm really good at sales, I'm really great at relationships, I'm great with people, and therefore I don't need to be good at all these other things because I'll just delegate that and somebody else will take care of that. I was like, nope, 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 nope. That, no, that no longer works. That's, that's a thought that is irrelevant based on the trajectory of my life and the goals that I have for myself. So I changed that thought and I said, nope, 
I will take 100% responsibility for everything in my life financially, which means from now on, I will understand 100% of what people are talking about when they're talking about things. And I started to engage my CPA, my bookkeeper, my financial advisor in a very different way to understand what they were talking about. And that was a journey. It took several years, but the moment of decision was, was immediate where I was like, that is unacceptable. And I am going to craft a new path forward and got a plan together. So I like what you're saying. And what I think about it is, it is making a different decision about your level of responsibility for this stuff combined with an actual plan that will get you out of wherever you're at. Yeah. And I think acknowledging it's going to take time. Nobody digs themselves out of a debt hole in three months legally. <laughs> right? It will take some years probably to fix these issues, but, it's, but they're all fixable. Right. If you start to tackle them today. Well, and, and that's such a great point because I, I think the short-term fix, whatever that may be, um, and maybe it works for some people, but the reality is that the short-term fix, and again, God forbid something happens, right? You know, we, we hope we're on this earth for a lot longer than we think we will be. But as long as we're going to be here for a while, it's like, you got to look toward that. Like, even if it takes me sit, like for me, it was eight, you know, whatever, seven or eight years, but it was knowing that after I get out of that, I'm going to be clear sailing for yeah. a long time versus if I don't get out of it, I'm always going to be trying to just, you know, tread water. Um, right. And, and it's going to be challenging, you know, even in 20 years. And I saw, I know part of that too, and, and maybe, you know, I don't know if you had went through this, but like my upbringing, right. Just seeing my parents, like, you know, I was like, why is I, we don't we're kind of a middle-class family, you know, from upstate New York, like what my dad just, just blowing money on stuff and spending a lot of, I'm like, okay, I guess that's what you do. You just put stuff on credit card, you paid off later. Like that's the mentality that I was up, grown up with. So it took me a while to really change that as well to realize, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not really how you should do it. You know, right, so I don't know right. if it was the same for you, your upbringing kind of where you, did you learn any bad habits early on? Well, I did in term, in terms of my, my parents as educators were very frugal with their money and they had a very a savings oriented mindset. And I think for me though, as I got to an adult that translated into a lack mindset where I was like, well, I don't want that. And I'm making a lot more money. So I'm going to have a lot of stuff and I'm going to buy a lot of things and enjoy the money that they were not able to do because they didn't make the amount of money that I was making. That, that unfortunately was not a good <laughs> solution either. Right. So, you know, I did not learn things about how to effectively manage a large cash flow or a business. That wasn't my training. And so when I started to get a lot of money, I honestly just didn't know what to do with it. And so I did what anybody might think of, which is buy things. And, and luckily I did buy also a fair amount of real estate, which was good, but I bought a lot of other stuff too that has had no real value over time. So I had to learn all of that and I learned it over time and, and learned it by acknowledging I was not making the progress I wanted to make and I needed to take full responsibility for that. And it was learnable that these were learnable skills that I'm a smart guy. I can learn this stuff as long as I dedicate time and resources to that and give myself the time to do it. What are some things I'm just thinking this is way off our conversation, but I, I, I'd rather get here. I, you know, just sure. to, I don't want to forget to ask you just from a real estate standpoint, obviously that's a, a hot thing, you know, especially for younger folks. They're thinking, do I need to buy something? Like I'm a, I'm a big believer and maybe you might, might disagree on this on renting. I'm going to rent for a few more years. Um, but you know, some folks want to buy something. I mean, and what would you share some advice in 2020 
that you found yes. as relevant uh, for folks that want to go down that path from a real well, estate standpoint? In the context of building wealth for oneself, right? If you look at wealthy people in the world generally, it's very hard to find anybody who's got any wealth that hasn't had a real estate investment strategy, right? Can't think of anybody offhand. Maybe there's someone, right? So real estate is a critical foundational piece of building wealth. And the sooner you can get in the game, the better, because time is the leverage in real estate. So okay. whether you continue to rent and, and keep your personal expenses low and buy an investment property, I'm game for that. You know, I, I think a nice combo in that is you buy something where you can have roommates. If you're, if you, I did that for years, I had very large properties where I filled them with roommates that paid all my mortgage expenses. It was fantastic, right? Or, a, or, a, or a duplex where you've got a, a rental unit in the basement and you live up top. You know, the faster, you, the sooner you can get in the real estate game, the the, the more advantageous time will be for you. And it's time that builds a lot of wealth in real estate. So that's what I would say on that is, is get in as fast as you can and um, orient it to cash flow and get an investment property that allows you to um, live for free if you're young and, and just starting out. Well, that's what I'm, you know, that, that's the one thing I, I think about is like, if I, because we were talking about earlier, having a certain amount of savings, I want to have way more than that, um, you know, in terms of being it. And then, and obviously what I do with from investment, you know, stocks and, and, you know, indexes and all that, but is, do I want to put a lot down? Because that's a big chunk you generally have to put down for. Well, your you very know. first property, you can, if you're going to live in it, even if you're going to live in just part of it, okay. you can buy it with about 5% down. Oh, okay. See, I didn't know that. That's why I, I'm glad I asked. Okay. Yeah, 5% down will cover your down payment and your closing costs with an FHA loan. Hmm. And now you're going to have to, to, to be realistic about the expectations of what you can buy. I mean, you're not going to buy prime real estate in downtown DC for that kind of loan, no. But you can buy a good property somewhere in the, in the metro area that you live in for 5% down on an FHA loan and a, and a duplex or triplex and, and rent out the majority of it and live for free. Hmm. So if you've got decent credit, uh, you know, we're talking a credit score of 650 or more. In most cases, you can get that kind of loan. And the very first loan and the very first property you buy is probably not going to be super attractive, but you got to get in the game, right? There was an interesting article I read, and I should go back and find it. It was actually talking about an African-American woman who bought a piece of real estate in the 1930s, I believe it was, when at the time, it was very difficult for for African-Americans to buy real estate in this country because of discrimination. She managed to do it somehow, and it changed the trajectory of wealth for her entire family, that one purchase. It was in the Washington Post just a couple of days ago. We should find it and put it in the notes. But that shows you the power of real estate over time, and the key is to get into something now and, and let it build equity over time. And you'll trade up and, and buy more attractive things over time. Well, I'm going to try to transition from that okay. <laughs> from a, well, talking about getting advice, whether it's someone like yourself, like we're talking online or, yeah. you know, really support systems. You mentioned your, your business partner, how important have support systems been for you um, from a positive standpoint? Have, have you learned from negative, um, you know, I, mean, I won't call them support system, but circles you ran in. Can you chat a little bit about the importance of that in, in your career and your life? Yeah. Well, I, I, I realized both from my own experience and also studying and, and, and mentoring with people that are really more successful than me is, is great success does not happen alone. It requires a team and, uh, you know, success, financial success, 
success in your career, success in your family is a team sport. And the sooner one gets good at assembling a great team, the faster that trajectory is. And I didn't notice that at the beginning. I mean, I, I started as an individual salesperson. So it was like, you know, team of one. <laughs> but after a couple of years, I was like, huh, you can only get so far with a team of one. And then you've got to bring other people around. So now, before I do anything, my first orientation is, who's the team? What does the team look like that's going to execute this? The, the initiative is often personally inspired by me as like, I want to grow and build this, but very, very quickly, it needs to turn into we, or it can't get sustainable traction. Yeah, I mean, I, I found it like, you know, you can definitely do it on your own, I'm sure. But almost everyone I talk to, there's some people, you know, I call some virtual mentors, people I've never met which you learn from, but then a lot of obviously, you know, support groups or people, and they don't have to be, they can be like-minded, but they can also just, you know, they can also be people that push you as well. But I think you have to have that in order to, you know, have a, I guess a a sound, um, I don't know the best phrasing, I guess, but kind of a a sound group um, or sound, uh, you know, environment maybe is the best word uh, to be able to succeed. So. Right. If the majority of the conversations you're having are with yourself, and, and with yourself only, <laughs> you, you can only really create a, a limited perspective from that. You've got to bring other people into the conversation quickly in order to make something interesting happen. It's, it's almost like two people becomes a third, like that third mind is created as a result of other people getting together. So yeah, hundred yeah. percent agree. Like building those groups out formally and informally has been key to, to my success over time. Yeah. I mean, even just, you know, texting someone like, Hey, I have this idea. What are your thoughts on this? Or here's what I'm trying to do. And having someone, I, I believe it's really just on the trust and respect that's built, you know, that you can get, that you can get some feedback right away and whether you take it or not always, but at least, you know, it's coming from a good place. Yeah. And people love to give it right. I mean, we all love to give advice and, and perspective on things. So, so it's exciting to engage in those conversations and it builds great relationships over time for sure. All right. So coming out of the pandemic, hopefully we're out of it in the next few months, maybe in a year, who knows? Um, (laughs) What should small business owners, people that want to get in business themselves, what should they be thinking about? They should be thinking about, does my product or service work? And is it needed in the new environment? There's a lot of new businesses that are being formed right now based on the change in society. And I think everybody should be assessing whether or not they're the thing that they're doing and they're interested in, there's a market for it, right? What has happened in the last few months is a lot of trends have just accelerated at a rapid pace, which means 2021 for most people is really what 2025 or 2026 might've looked like normally, or even 2030. I don't know. We've, we've accelerated some trends by a decade. And so there is an assessment that needs to be done by all business owners, new and existing, which is does my product and service work in the new environment? Can I create a profit margin from that thing that I want to do and, and figure out how you model that to make sure that it works and, and, and how to make it work, but potentially some tweaks. So there are very few businesses that are not having to make some fairly large macro tweaks to their business model and their operating model. And so for, as a new business owner, that's exciting because you don't have the historical infrastructure, aka employees, space, you know, limited thinking about this is how we've always done it. You don't have that. You've got all new stuff, though one must assess, hey, the plan I had before, is it going to work as we move forward in this new environment? 
How do you get someone from, again, think about the mindset aspect to actually say, listen, I know it's a tough time. I know there's some uncertainty, but if this is what you want to do, you need to move forward with it. Because I think that's the, the fear a lot of folks have is like, ugh. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the safe comfort. I have the blanket on top of me. I'm warm. I'm okay doing what I'm doing. Maybe I'm not happy though. Is there any, how, how, I don't know if convince is the right word. Yeah. How well, do you get I think them it, there's always an exchange, right? Comfort is an exchange for something else. So I'm exchanging maybe uh, more fulfillment in order to have comfort. So if, if comfort is a driver to keeping you stuck where you are now, I would be asking yourself, well, what am I giving up as a result of having comfort? So there's always a back and forth to those exchanges. That, that would be one thought. The other thought would be acknowledging nobody actually has it figured out, which is interesting. Nobody really knows what's going to work in the future. And right. while some people have better ideas than others, and, and some people will be right and others will be wrong, nobody really knows. So the only way forward is to rapid prototype and try and to take action and do a lot of things because those that are doing that are going to innovate their way to the thing that actually does work. The people that are not doing anything and they're thinking about it or observing, we're, they're going to miss the train. So, you know, I'm really focused right now on not being too obsessed with locking down something for the future, but rather doing a lot of, of, of experimenting you know, for example, I'm launching a bunch of uh, webinars on how to manage your finances and a consulting product. And I'm, I'm doing some things around a virtual CFO and, and I've got some great traction. Is that going to be the model I'm going to launch in 2021? Well, I don't know. We'll see. But I'm trying it and I'm seeing what the market says by getting real-time feedback from people who are interested in buying the product or service. You don't have a business unless somebody's willing to buy something. And so trying to figure out what people are going to buy is a rapid iterative process that has to happen through action. And you just have to try. You got to put yourself out there and try it. Yeah. You know, I've launched a few webinars this summer that like nobody signed up. I'm like, well, hmm, I guess uh, either I've got a dysfunctional marketing engine, which certainly has been the case, uh, or I'm, I don't have the right product. And so let's retool that puppy and put it back out there and see if we get another result. In round two, we got a few more. In round three, we got a few more. And then, you know, so whether it's webinars or, 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 or anything, I think that's the process is try it, see what the response is, take that feedback, don't personalize it, retool it, put it back out there, see what happens, bring it back to the lab, retool it, put it back out there. And after doing that 10 times, you'd be like, oh, I think I'm landing on something. All right, let's go, uh, let's go all the way back to when you're the traveling uh, musician or you know, when you're touring <laughs> okay. back into those days. You got one piece of advice you can give. You have a post-it note size to give it on. So very short, concise. What are you giving to that Brandon of yesteryear uh, to help him on his journey? Do it because everything tends to work out well for you. And, and that has been a mantra that I've really wanted to uh, keep with or that I keep with me on a day-to-day -day basis, especially when I'm, I'm worried or I'm I'm concerned about this, that, or the other. And that is go forward, do it because everything tends to work out well for you. And it's true. And if we look at our lives or our businesses in the context of time, we realize that, that in general, things have a tendency to work out pretty well. And while in the moment, we might be like, I don't know how this is going to be a good thing because it looks like a disaster. 
The reality is in two years, two months, five years, 10 years, you look back on that and you're like, you know what? There was purpose to that and it worked out well for me. So being able to take that in hindsight lesson and bring it to the present moment to accommodate for now fear and anxiety, which is relevant for all of us right now, has been sort of the, 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 the modulation that I've needed in my mindset to continue to take action in such an uncertain time. So that's what I would say to Brandon Green is go forward, take that action because it's going to work out well for you in the long run. All right, we'll, we'll drop the mic on that one. That was a, a <laughs> definitely good advice there. Brandon, where can everyone uh, find you online? Where's the best place to connect? Yes, go to brandongreen.com. Great way to find me. And you can subscribe to my newsletter by going all the way to the bottom of the site there. And you can find me on all my social media channels as well through brandongreen.com. It was a pleasure to have you on. I know we, we navigate a variety of different uh, topics for a little bit. So I uh, definitely appreciate your insight there and uh, look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you, Brian. I hope you all enjoyed that interview and thanks again for stopping by. And just one more quick thing before you run along on your day. You know, this podcast has grown very organically since I started it over two and a half years ago. So anything you can do to share this episode out to your network or maybe go to Apple Podcast and leave a rating and review. Um, anything you can do at all, I'd certainly be appreciative of it. Um, if you'd like to connect with me online, my website, brianondraco.com, or head over to Instagram or LinkedIn and Twitter, at brianondraco, or type my name, brianondraco, and it'll come up. I hope you all have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care.